Makers. Welcome to the show. I'm Lily. And I'm Millie, and we're so excited to be back. On today's episode, we talk about loving democracy, why that can be hard during an election, and why it's really important. So stay tuned. Very glad you can join us. Hey everyone, Lily here, and before we launch into today's episode, I just wanted to set the tone a little bit for season two of The Remakers and what you can expect. So our very first season, last season, we had a blast interviewing some really incredible people from very different fields, um, experts on things like mental health or climate change and building the next economy, indigenous rights. And one of the big pieces of feedback that we also got was, we want more Billy Lily episodes. We really like those chats. We want to just hear you talking about the world and politics. It's a rare thing to hear two women talk about that kind of stuff who aren't like professional politicians. Can we please have more of this? So that is what we are doing in this season. We are going to be uh, primarily in conversation with Millie and I, and we're going to be bringing in some amazing guests to also help us dive deeper into particular topics and explore how some of these ideas look in practice. So we would love your feedback. You can email us at podcast at australiaremade.org. And here is my conversation with Millie. Hey, Millie. Hi, Lily. How are you doing? Very good. It's very nice to be back here with you. It's lovely to be back here with you. And my gosh, like it's been a while. A lot has happened since our last podcast reflecting on the lessons of 2021. Yeah, it sure has. There's been a few things, what with pandemics, floods, uh, the election, war, war. just a little bit going on in the world. Um, And we are definitely here and now kind of recording this in the middle of election season, which has really started to to kind of kick off and ramp up. So we thought that we would spend a little bit of time today thinking about that and kind of how how are you with all of this? Like what what are you noticing um, in sort of your own headspace as well as kind of where you think other people are, are how are other people doing with this that you are speaking to and should we all just want to hide under a rock for the next five weeks or however many weeks it is? Um, or should we be excited? Dare we be excited? Can we be excited about an election anymore? That feels like dangerous territory almost. Well, look, I'm excited. I mean, well, sometimes I'm excited. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was actually lying in bed the other morning and thinking like, yeah, I want to be excited about this election. And in fact, I think we have to be excited. Um, and I've really noticed that there is a real mix of how people feel about this election. I, on social media, there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I can't cope. It's, we've got five weeks to go and I want to vomit. Um, you know, I can't bear to see another gotcha moment or whatever it is. Um, you know, my husband's decided not to watch the news, uh, the Australian news or engage with it until after the election, because, it's too damaging for his mental health. Um, and then on the other side, you know, there's people who have never been more excited and about an election in their lives and are volunteering and getting engaged in ways they never even imagined they could. So I think it's a pretty interesting moment as far as elections go. Um, and I, you know, I swing between being super excited and wanting the answer, you know. <laughs> um, how about yourself? 
Yeah, I think um I think that for a lot of people in the kind of under the umbrella of progressive politics, they are so afraid of a repeat of last time where they thought that it was going to go one way and everywhere, you know, it was kind of this, not quite a fait accompli, but pretty close. And then there was the letdown. And there's something in human psychology where we'd rather be prepared for the bad news up front than look the fool. Mm. And I think a lot of people are really just don't even want to let themselves kind of even get their hopes up even a little bit that maybe there could be a change lest they feel the added weight of disappointment um, if and when there's not. And yeah, I understand that. And I also think that cynicism is, um, it's safe ground to stand on, but it won't change anything. You, mm. know, you can't change anything from that standpoint. And I try to, when I'm feeling cynical and I'm feeling despondent, I try to think about, well, okay, what are the bright spots? Like where, where are we excited? And I know that, you know, I'm going to be the 230 zillionth person to say this, but I think the independence to me personally, like that is exciting. And it's exciting, not just because it's people, um, you know, stepping up for particular issues or causes that I believe in, which I do, you know, women, um, you know, the way that women are, uh, kind of women's rights and quality and access and, you know, all of that in public life. Um, anti-corruption, climate change, but it's it's also just um, this notion of, of people kind of looking around and feeling like, okay, well, yep, I've lived in a safe seat since forever. You know, there's this vibe that nothing's ever going to change. Fuck it, I'll put my hand up. Like, and I, I love that element of just, um, and we've written about this, you know, at the end of the last election, um, we interviewed some people who'd been really involved in two of the campaigns that won, Zali Stegall and um, and in Indi, uh, Helen Haynes, and we kind of interviewed people who were really involved in that behind the scenes and kind of drew out these lessons. And I think like those lessons are still apt and still applying. Things like courage is contagious and there's no shortcut to community. And, you know, I'm excited that it's people stepping up where they are, where they live. They're not parachuting in from somewhere else to try to tell other people, oh, you need to get rid of your local MP because they're terrible. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a kind of interesting one to watch. And I think it's really interesting how they're setting the expectations for what success looks like in that context. You know, we haven't seen this really before that I know of in Australian politics is kind of coordinated um, network of independents uh, who are sort of different, but have similar values saying, well, okay, you know, no, we're not going to be the opposition. We're not going to be the government. Um, but hey, it only takes three. And if you haven't seen their website, it takes three.com.au. Like it's interesting to see how they're kind of setting up. Um, you know, you can enter your postcode and see if you live in an electorate where there is someone running um, that they call a values aligned independent. And if not, like there are other ways to get involved. And this is not me trying to say to people, you, know, you should go vote this way. It's just, um, I think how they are framing that success of like, no matter who wins, um, if we get at least three independents up, we can make some real changes um, toward these core issues in the next term of government. I mean, I think that independents are a really interesting example. And, you know, I think about the seed of democracy in Australia and we have, um, you know, a really interesting history. We've got the secret ballot. We've got compulsory voting. Um, you know, we have a history of women being, you know, some of the first in the world to be allowed to vote. I mean, there's a dark side of that history too of when, when women got the vote, um, First Nations folk lost it. So there's, you know, it's not it's not all a rosy history. 
but we do have kernels of, of real pride in our democracy. Um, and, you know, I was on Twitter and laughing at the fact that the hashtag is, you know, Ozpol and then the emoji for a sausage. And I, I, I love that we know how to love democracy. I love that we know how to find joy in that civic duty. And I think that is, is a little spark that, that we can build on. And the independents are an example. Again, I don't actually agree with all of their policies and I think that there's a long way to go for some of them. Um, but what I love is that process of community engagement and that people who have never before been involved in democracy are suddenly realising they can touch it, you know, and they they can shape it. And I think we spoke about this on a previous episode, but I, I love how Kathy McGowan and then Helen Haynes in Indi, part of their bringing people uh, into to democracy is not only the fact that it's a community-run campaign, but the fact that they... They have a volunteer system where as a, a, a community member you can go into parliament um, with Helen Haynes and, you know, spend a week volunteering and kind of representing her but representing yourself. And I, I just I just love that it moves democracy from once every three years to something that you can do really regularly. And I think there's a lot of people would love to see the, the parties do that and I think there's real potential there. Yeah, I do feel like, you know, we take a lot for granted in Australia, which being a dual citizen who grew up in the US and still votes in US elections from abroad, like the things that we have as our bread and butter foundation here still seem like utopia to a lot of Americans. Um, apparently, Barack Obama thought that mandatory voting was like one of the best ideas he'd ever heard of and was one of the things that he was most envious of from another democracy, but thought, oh God, it would never work and kind of, you know, my rights, my freedom. I'm kind of loving America. And yeah, there, there is this element of when you go to the polls on election day, it is enjoyable in a way that I think other places, and look, I'll speak to the US because it's the other example that I'm most familiar with, but certainly the narrative around voting on election day in the US is quite depressing. It's quite, um, it's always focused on the long lines and the gerrymandering and the all the dodgy attempts to kind of stop people from voting. And then, of course, at the last election, the like attempt to actually overthrow the legitimate results of that election. And so I think, you know, that will fire people up and make people even more determined. And we're just starting to see a little bit of, you know, people bringing their pizza cart business to the line where people are having to queue for three hours and stuff like that. So trying to insert a little bit of joy and a little bit of community. But I think that that's something that Australia gets really right. Like the last time I voted, it was like a great family day out. Like there was the coffee cart, there was a sausage sizzle, there was face painting, and it was all a fundraiser for our local public school. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Like I would do this anyway on a Saturday. And we're getting to have a say in the kind of peaceful transition of power. Like, and we have ranked choice voting and we have, you know, like independent electoral boundaries. Like there's so many things that are good. And I know that there are so many things that we can continue to make better, you know, in terms of getting the money out of, you know, politics and things like that, that our friends are working on over at the democracy campaign work. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's what we have to hold here is the fact that there are some serious problems with our democracy and there are, they're getting worse. Um, there's some fantastic, like you said, um, the Australian Democracy Network is doing fantastic work in that space as are a lot of other places. Um, so we, while we need to be celebrating democracy, I think 
part of why we need to celebrate it is that we're at risk of it being run run to the ground in probably intentionally. I mean, that might sound a bit too much of a conspiracy theory, but there are organizations and power groups that benefit from eroding our democracy. Um, and and I that think, even benefit from our cynicism about democracy. Well, that that's exactly it. And I think, you know, so many people, if you have a heart, I'm pretty sure you'll have had moments recently where you're just like, I cannot cope with this election campaign. I don't want to see another piece of bullshit media about something that's not important. I don't want to look at unambitious climate action, you know, targets. There is a lot to be pretty frustrated about at this election. Um, but I think part of our job is also to say, yep, it's not good enough and I'm not going to turn off. Like maybe you turn off the news for a while. I know you've got some good ideas for that, Lily, but how do we stay excited about democracy so that we can make it function in the way that that we want so that we're not kind of just giving up ground to this, the the people who want us to be cynical or the forces who want us to be cynical and disengaged because we need to be engaged up to the election. We need to bring other people with us. You know, I know how I'm going to vote, um, but maybe other people want some help thinking that through, so I need to stay positively engaged. Um, and then after the election, it doesn't matter who wins. There's There's work to be done. You know, the pandemic is not over. The climate targets aren't nearly good enough. So how do we carry a love of democracy? How do we how do we love democracy and how do we still feel connected and attached to it? And I mean I I don't know about your thoughts on this but part of that for me is not is not buying into the cynicism or keeping that cynicism private because we're all going to have a rant like I guarantee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, there'll be some swearing in my household. But I don't need to put that into the public space to erode that shared sense of of what we value in democracy yeah um it occurs to me on that that the litmus test is like would I say this to my kids you know like if if I wouldn't want my kids to hear it maybe I shouldn't put it in the public space I don't know maybe that's just too sensory but as in censoring but yeah I think that you're absolutely right I think that the cynicism narrative you know it's cool it's you know, it's right, it's ironic, it's safe ground, um, and it's understandable, right? And I think it's it's a defense mechanism against feeling heartbroken, um, whether preemptively or post-election. And so it's tempting for a whole bunch of reasons, but we got serious problems to solve and we're in serious times. And I think one of the things that is kind of waking people up a little bit more to be less complacent slash cynical about democracy is actually, holy shit, there is, you know, we got, we need serious leaders right now to step up to these problems. And that is only, they're only going to go as far as we kind of create the space for them or push them or support them to do that. And so if you're not seeing stuff that you're happy with, you know, think about running next time or think about like who, you know, who are the people that you can work with? And also like, who do you want to fall in line behind and try to get into their ear? You know, do you actually reach out to your local MP? Um, there's some great websites that, you know, I think a lot of our listeners will already know about, but you should definitely go and check them out if you're still kind of grappling with, you know, not being entirely sure who you want to vote for, or um, just wanting to kind of get a couple of double checks on it. There's one that's, um, 
is it new this year? They vote for you.org.au. It's basically they've aggregated all of the publicly available data from the Hansard and you can put in your postcode and it will tell you this is what your MP has voted for when they have voted, you know, when they've had a conscience or a free vote. This is how they voted on the particular things. This is what they've almost always voted for. This is what they've almost always voted against. Um, this is how they vote in line with the party. And so it just gives you, it kind of strips all the personality, all of the gotchas, all of the crap out of it and just shows you like, what does the record actually show? And I think it's a really helpful service. Um, yeah, deeds, not words. Yeah, and just a great exercise in like presenting data usefully. And then the other one that the ABC puts on every time is Vote Compass, votecompass.abc.net.au. There's links in your show notes. And that's another good one for just kind of a curiosity check of nothing else. Like, huh, what do I think about these kind of core questions of issues around taxation or, you know, climate or LGBTQ or whatever, and seeing where, like who actually is aligning with me. Because I think one of the things that sometimes happens, and I've seen this in my work as like a political communications consultant, is that sometimes the people that you agree with and the people that you like are, are different, yeah. you know, and you can think to yourself, well, actually those people aren't people like me because, you know, I'm not pure, I'm not an angry activist, or I'm not a this or a that. But those are the people that are most aligned with you on the policy. And then the people that can kind of look and sound like you are actually not voting the way that you assume they would or wish they would. Um, so I think that's another interesting one for people to check out. I wanted to pick up, Lily, on your point as well about getting, you know, getting behind a campaign or getting running yourself or, and I, I know, We've talked a lot previously about the importance of like, you know, having a street party or running a local community event to as kind of practice for democracy. And it strikes me that it works both ways, that we also don't want to be outsourcing everything just to the federal parliament. And so there's a role for getting engaged in these federal campaigns as practice for working in your own local community space, becoming exposed to different people other than your neighbours you know, and I think we can sometimes segment, oh, this is my federal campaign, this is my democracy moment, this is my community moment, but actually how every time we engage we build those muscles to engage across whole different spectrums of our lives and start thinking about, yeah, that th these build skills that apply everywhere. That's a really good point. And whenever I've interviewed people who, you know, we had on um, some folks talking about democracy in the last season of the podcast um, with the Sydney Alliance. And one of them, David Barrow, comes from a faith background. And he was saying, you know, the interesting thing about church face-to-face uh, -face is that you are face-to-face -face with people who are different to you, different generation, maybe different views on things, different political beliefs. And you're yet forming community and connection based on some pretty deeply held, you know, values and, you know, and, and I think that's absolutely right that I know one of the questions on my local MPs list when he's trying to suss out, you know, do you have any feedback for me? He wants to know, well, how many other networks are you part of, mm. you know, because it's a part of sussing out, like, are you a person of influence and power in this local community? Are you connected to a lot of other people through activities? Are you civically minded? Like, have you rolled up your sleeves and gotten involved? And like, I'll be real honest, I always feel real guilty because actually like on the ground to my local community, like I'm involved as a parent through the school and, 
you know, I have good relationships with my neighbors, but I'm not somebody who has joined, you know, the scouts and the rotary and that like, or not to mention half a dozen other things that you could Mm. be doing. And I think there is a lot of internalized um, sense of inadequacy for a lot of us that we're not good enough as, as citizens, as change makers, as aspiring activists or people who are just trying to do good in the world. You know, you can feel like, oh, but but that kind of serious, you know, capital C change work or capital D democracy work, that's for other kinds of people. That's that's not for people like me because I'm not whatever enough. And I think that's another internal barrier that we have to overcome. Yeah. And I think that's that's why it's so important that we start practicing getting closer to democracy. You know, we had a, a, a really fun example of this at the last election. Um, so, you know, my family's involved in lots of different community networks and my husband is known as someone who likes to think deeply about politics. And so every year he puts out on his Facebook page, you know, this is who I'm thinking of voting for. What do you guys reckon? And it becomes this really big community conversation and it's, there's disagreement. There's been, you know, oh, I think you should put this party here or, you know, um, and obviously it's, he voluntarily puts it out publicly. It's not like anyone's forcing anyone to be public about this stuff, but he then put out this kind of his own how to vote card and it got picked up in the local statistics when they analyzed the, you know, the results of the federal election because we had so many people on the Senate paper. It was really unusual that there were that many votes that were so similar. And I, I don't know if it was like 18 or something, but enough to pop up. And it was this real reminder that all of us have this incredible social power. And, you know, I don't think he changed anyone's minds about who to vote for, but he helped people who identified with him to vote in a way that was aligned to his values and therefore their values. And he had done that research. And, you know, he's, I've talked about this before. He's, he's got a chronic illness. He's not out and about in the community very much, but he is known and trusted. And I, it was this moment of like, whoa, we actually had this huge amount of influential power as ordinary citizens to help other people line up their own values. You know, it wasn't telling anyone what to do. It was, and I just thought that was fascinating that we have so much more power than we think we do. And you know, your people, right? Like, you know, the way that they, you know, the language that's going to resonate for people, you know, the values, like when I say your people, like the people that, that you're, you know, would potentially be trying to support or, you know, inform or empower, you know, the, the way to connect with those people. And if that's posting something on Facebook that gives, you know, some takeaway usable information from some deep dives into research, then that's really useful and valid. And I think versus someone from afar kind of coming in and being like, you should vote this way. And this is Mm -hmm. why, and I'm the expert, like you're always going to resonate more and you know, we talk about this a lot in messaging, like it's not just the message, it is the messenger mm. and the messenger matters as much, if not more. And so for any of us out there to think about, well, who are my people? Like to see ourselves as people with of influence. And I think that term has become almost a bit of an eye roll, you know, social media influences, but actually who are the people that listen to you or, or identify with you or align with you? And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be you taking on some self-appointed leadership hat, but like, how can you kind of work together or, or, you know, 
become more than just the sum of your individual parts or see yourselves as more than just a collection of random individuals um, when it comes to thinking about, you know, whatever's going on in our democracy that you want to change. Yeah, that's right. And also remembering we had a state election down here recently and, you know, the there was a 500 vote difference between um, between people. Like that. that is not very many votes. Um, and so, again, remembering like every individual vote counts. And I, I think, you know, I, I find this tricky myself because on the one hand, I think we need, you know, collective action. And I, I really worry that we put the burden on the individual way too much um, to solve all, all the world's problems. On the other hand, you know, individuals add up. Um, and so how we, you know, democracy is one of those fascinating Kind of cases where every individual actually has this real power, but only if every individual exercises it in pursuit of the public good, I think, where we vote for our collective um, and where we refuse to, to walk away from engaging in what is both a right and a responsibility. Yeah. And I think Australian democracy gets that balance of the notion of with rights come responsibilities better than the US. Um, and, and probably better than a lot of other Western democracies. There is this kind of built in to our sense of collective responsibility, looking out for each other, not just, you know, it's, it's always why I find the budget analysis so depressing. It's like, who are the winners and losers? But like, when did that become, like, it's an easy clickbaity way to break down a budget, but when did that become the measure of what a good budget should be or of our success or what we're actually even aiming to do. Like, what is the point Mm -hmm. of me winning if everybody else is losing or whatever, you know, like it's, so I do think Australia has a sense of what that is. And, and really to me, that is the difference between kind of um, being a good person, quote unquote, and being somebody who is, is trying to affect bigger change or be an activist or be a change. It's like, you're not just thinking about yourself. You're not just pursuing your own bottom line or your own narrow self-interest, which if nothing, COVID and climate are teaching us, there's no such thing anyway, right? Like we, we really do rise and fall together. always um lovely and inspiring to kind of chat with you and to kind of just touch base as we come back into this year and into season two of the podcast but really of kind of what is going on sort of in the world um i was wondering if you had any recommendations that you, you know, anything that's bringing you joy or delight anything that you've read or listened to recently that you would want to recommend to others um well, firstly, like I think I've convinced myself I can get excited about democracy. <laughs> um, so thanks for an excellent conversation. Um, yeah, I've only just, kind of keeping with the theme, I've only just started reading um, Julianne Schultz's The Idea of Australia, A Search for the Soul of the Nation. Um, and I'm really still only in the first chapter, but I'm, I love the way that she is weaving together the complexity of our history and the complexity of the things we can and should celebrate and the things we need to confront. And it's it's a really, so far, quite refreshing look at what is our story of Australia and, and what can we be. And I, you know, 
you know that I've been thinking about that stuff for a really long time and it's exciting to see I think someone else has done what I think needs to be done. How about you? That's so good. Um, I listened to a Brene Brown podcast called Accessing Joy and Finding Connection in the Midst of Struggle. And it's put me onto a woman called Karen Walrand, who has written a book called The Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. Hmm. And again, something that I've been thinking about for years and years and years, like how do we do justice with joy? How do we do you know, Hannah Maloney talked about it in our episode on permaculture. Like, how do you keep going forever? What is going to fuel you? And um, there's this beautiful quote, I will never apologize for embracing joy and beauty, even when the world is falling apart, because joy and beauty are my fuel for activism. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I come back to that when I need permission in the midst of what is going on in the world, in the midst of the uncertainty the climate stuff, the war in Ukraine, the just how dare we, um, you know, not be upset all the time? How dare we not be struggling all the time? And to come back to, because the point of this stuff, the point of the work that we do or the causes that we believe in is to maximize well-being across the planet, not reduce us all to the kind of lowest common denominator of human suffering is why we are here. So that's been really helpful to me. And yeah, I would recommend um, either of those, the podcast or the book to others. Sounds amazing. We can have the uncool joy club. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Isn't it? Because joy is totally uncool. It is naff and nerdy and vulnerable and awkward. Like cynicism is way cooler. Um, It's just that you can't change anything from that place of cynicism. So I am looking forward to the election, I think, with an element of, like, tempered joy, cautious joy, but, like, it wants to come out. It wants permission to come out, and I think this conversation has helped. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, We are looking forward to having more of these conversations as uh, the year goes on. Thank you for being here, and Millie, I will catch you next time. See you, Lily. Bye. This has been The Remakers, a podcast by Australia Remade. We celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and cultures at the very heart of what it is to be Australian. That is 60,000 plus years as the oldest continuing civilization on Earth. I'm recording my part of our chat from Muinina country in Lutruwida, Tasmania. And I record from Dara country, which is just north of Sydney. Our deepest respects to the elders and traditional custodians of these lands and waters. This podcast would not be possible without the talents of the incredible Anna Wilson, our producer. You can learn more about Australia Remade, sign up to get emails and join the community of remakers over on our website. That's australiaremade.org. And if you love the show, please rate and review on iTunes. If you want to send us your ideas or thoughts for future episodes or just share something that's on your mind, you can email us at podcast at australiaremade.org or give us a call. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for all that you do and for being part of this community. We'll see you next time.